Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks so much for being here. I'm the kind of teacher or pastor, maybe, whoever, but this is who I am. Wasn't always like this. There was a time when I would never, ever have expressed any need openly or, you know, anything like that. Totally confident in myself. Well, the older I get, the longer I walk with the Lord, the longer I teach. This confidence is just literally falling away. And as I shared last week, and I'll just share one more time this morning, just as an encouragement to you, and maybe as an encouragement to me, what we're sharing in this room, I have shared to some degree in premarital counseling for several years. I don't know if there's anyone in here who has done premarital counseling with me. All of y'all look that you've been married for a long time. And so as a result of that, this should be second nature to me. You know, just, just kind of pop it out, pop it out, pop it out, pop it out. But there is an opposition. There is an opposition that all of us face. And that opposition is more severe depending on what the circumstance is in relation to the will of God, what the content is, etc. And so, just want to let you know, I come in here again this morning totally feeling this is going to be the biggest flop I ever did have. Now, Dave, I've had some flops. And so, I don't say that to you to give you an excuse or tell you what's wrong or if it isn't any good or you didn't like it or whatever. I just want to share with you this in my life so that if yet this hasn't happened to you and you're a believer, it will happen. And so remember... What the Apostle Paul said, and I have to remember this regularly. I don't have any confidence in myself. My confidence is in where? In the Lord, in the power of the Spirit, in his purpose, in his promise. Amen? So that's why, that's why we teach us how we preach us, how we share. Totally being confident in someone else, using us, having prepared us, having given us Uh, direction, using us as we speak, ministering to you. Our confidence is in Christ. So let's always continue to remember that. Father, thank you so much. Hmm. Thank you for being so faithful. Father, thank you for this incredible life into which you have called us. Father, we have been called by your spirit through the purchase of the blood of Christ into the very central personal fellowship. Father, that you have with the Son and with the Spirit. Father, this is more than astounding. 
Father, this is the meaning and the crux, the centrality. This is the glory of our salvation. As we who were rebels have been brought into the inner life of God himself. Father, speak to us this morning about yourself, about yourself. Father, for this is our greatest need of instruction, about yourself. For Father, we know that as you disclose yourself through the knowledge of the Word and through experiencing you, through the various means that you give us, Father, then we are instructed about ourselves personally, corporately. Father, then are we motivated and willing to surrender ourselves to you so that you may continually by the Holy Spirit conform us individually, corporately, into the very image of your Son. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. Well, last week, you remember, and if you weren't here last week, again, let me encourage you to get the CD or go online, however you do that, only because what is happening is a building, one block upon another upon another, and remember the reason what would uh, remember the reason the purpose that I believe the Holy Spirit has in this instruction concerning marriage, because in Matthew nineteen and we're going through the Gospel of Matthew, you may have forgotten that by now. Coming up to chapter nineteen, Jesus is confronted by the Pharisees concerning the issue of marriage and divorce. And so Jesus' entire answer is, if you would, a very short explication of the Word of God. And he points us to Genesis. And so as a result of that, I just felt the Holy Spirit say, wait, wait, don't go any further. Stop, because that was not my intention to stop. And do this, and then come back again. And so everything we've been discussing is for this purpose. We're building up revelation, information, knowledge from the Word about God in order to be able to more accurately and clearly understand the relational component and central purpose of God in marriage. Now, this does not mean that if you're not married, it doesn't apply to you. Certainly, everything in the Word of God applies to all of us all the time. But there is a bearing down, a honing in when it comes to marriage concerning the revelation of the very person and nature of our God, which is to be declared most uniquely through marriage. So you remember that we talked about that, and last week we talked about the Father's role within the community of the Godhead. And I just want to read this little statement. 
in his role as the father. He is the leader of the Trinitarian community. And we see in his leadership the giving, selfless, servant heart of the Father in his sending the Son of his love at the very highest price to himself to purchase a people for his love so that the love that he has for the Son might be in his people and demonstrated through the church and most clearly through our marriages. And so last week, as I said, we talked about the Father's role. And just as a hint moving forward, excuse me, we will be speaking in the next few weeks concerning Ephesians chapter 5. And you will see that the Apostle Paul gives instruction to the wife in verses 22, 3, and 4. And then he gives instruction to the husband in verses 25 and following. And then he kind of capsulates it in verse 33. And so what we've just seen about the father, his love, husbands, the father's love is that which is to be being demonstrated in us toward our wives. And so as we've talked about that, we see that that is the love that is to be manifested in the marriage to the wife and to the world. This morning, we're going to talk about the son's role and the spirit's role. And as we do that, the role of the son and the role of the spirit is not uniquely the role of the wife, but it is more apt and applied to the wife. So as we do this this morning, ladies, wives, unmarried ladies, begin to look at and think about who you are and how you are in your marriage or if you're not married within the church. So let's look at the role of the son. And we said this, because all three persons of God share the very same nature and attributes, a co-equal and a co-eternal, what distinguishes one person of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit from the others it's not that, oh, well, the Father is God. Well, the Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God, etc. But what makes the distinction is the role, the distinctive role that each of these three divine distinct persons carry out within the context of their relationship in this community of God. And so we're going to remember that the Son is fully God in himself, but not by himself. And he is co-eternal and co-equal with the Father and with the Spirit simultaneously, possessing the very same divine nature with them. And I'm going to always say this about each one as we travel through to remind us of the person about whom we're speaking. And so what distinguishes the Son from the Father because when the people, when folks look at the Bible and they see the Father, immediately what comes into your mind? The word Father immediately, at least most of the time, is a biological term. How many of us are fathers in here? You can raise your hand if you're a father. It's okay. Now, what does that mean? That biologically we have children. 
But in the Bible, that is not the only meaning, meaning, and often it is not the primary meaning. Because the word father is a relational term that is indicative of a leadership position and of a protective position. And as it is with the father, also with the word son, weos in the Greek. It is not primarily a word that has to do with you are physically begotten of a man and a woman, therefore you are a son. The son is a son in relation to a father. It is someone who is in distinction relationally to this person. And so God calls Israel my son. Why? Because God has had physically many children? Of course not. And so it's a relational term. And so we remember that what distinguishes the son from the father and the spirit is his role as the son in relation to the father. And so every time we see the word son or the son of God, it is a statement about his divinity, certainly. But it is also a statement about his role, his function within the context of the Trinity in relation to the Father. And so every time we see the word son as pertaining to the Son of God, it has to do also not only with his divinity, but with his role as the obedient son of the Father. And so we need to see that. It is a constant proclamation that the son is in relationship to the father in a particular role. And what is that role? The son's role to the father is that he lovingly respects the father's leadership by always obeying his will. Remember the father's role. The father's role is to lovingly lead And the son's role is to lovingly respond to the father's leadership by obeying. And I throw that word respect in there, not only because Paul's going to use it in chapter 533 of Ephesians, but a very large part of obedience, biblically speaking, is the word respect. And I emphasize that because too often... We equate obedience with just doing what we're told to do, and that's not the biblical understanding of obedience. And so there is a, an obedience has to do with love, respect, response to the leadership that has been given. And so I always tie those two together as a unit now, we could possibly tie other things certainly together, joy and peace, but especially these two, because these are activities which we decide to walk out. Joy is the experience of it. So I don't put joy in there at the same level, but if we are lovingly, respectfully obeying, joy and peace are going to be the fruit of that. You remember the fruit of the Spirit. And so the son's role, what is his role within the Trinity? The son's role is lovingly, respectfully obeying the father's will in everything. So we're going to take a look at a few chapters, a few verses in the Gospel of John, especially where this is clearly demonstrated and clearly spoken of by Jesus to look at this. And again, while as we go through this, 
certainly men, but especially the ladies, this is going to be equated with your role within the marriage. And today, this is a real challenge because you're being challenged by the world that you are independent, that you are not dependent, that you are to be, you know, roaring and, you know, just whatever they call it. What do they call it? Um, I am woman, hear me roar. Equal women, whatever it is, I don't know. So let's be turned, maybe just listen to these quotes because I have from about four different places in the Gospel of John. Jesus is speaking. John 4, 34. Remember, the woman at the well. And I've already quoted some of these from the Father's perspective of loving the Son and leading the Son. But this morning, the emphasis is the Son's response to the Father's leadership. What is the Son's response to the Father's leadership? What is the woman's response to the husband's leadership? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Obedience. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever he, the father does, that the son does likewise. Now, what do you mean Jesus can't do anything on his own accord? <clears throat> that means anything in relation to serving the father's purpose. Certainly, Jesus can do something on his own accord. But Jesus is speaking about his role within the Godhead as being demonstrated through his life as a human being. And so the Son of God is incarnate. He takes on human, uh, human body and a human soul in order to show us what this relational community of God looks like and will accomplish at the cross and in the resurrection. Jesus said in John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own. Again, Certainly he can do something on his own, but in relation to being the son of the father's leadership, he can do nothing on his own, nothing unilaterally, nothing apart from the father's leadership. For everything that Jesus does and everything he says is as a consequence of being led by the authority of his father. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And so Jesus is absolutely joy-filled to come and to be freed of the burden of doing something on his own and be freed into the will of his Father to obey the will of his Father. Friends in Christ, that's what our freedom is. For it is freedom that we have been, for freedom that we've been made free. Remember somebody said that? Do you remember where that is? Galatians 5.1. Somebody said that. It was for freedom that Christ has made us free. We're free in Christ. Free what? Free of the shackles and the burdens of having to do my will to get through life. We have been made free to the, as those who can now be totally dependent on the will of God in our lives. Amen? That's what our freedom is all about. 8.28 of John, Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. In other words, he is proclaiming himself as the God of Abraham. Remember, I am. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. 
and he who sent me is with me, and he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. In John 14, 31, we see that why, why, why does the son do this? What is behind this obedience? What is the very fabric and core of this obedience? What is the very motive here? John 14, 34, I do as the father has commanded me. Why? Why are you obeying your husband? Why are you respecting your husband? So that the world may know that I love the Father. Why are wives to be loving their husbands and respectfully respecting them? So that the world may know that you are loving the Father. Why are husbands to be loving their wives as Christ loved the church? Why? Why? So that the world may know that we love the Father. And why is that important? Because you see, as we love that way with God's love, we are not saying something primarily about ourselves, but we are saying the central truth about the way the three divine, distinct persons function within this community. They function in love for one another. That's what is being attacked by Satan at every corner. That is what's being attacked. What's being attacked by Satan in our lives generally, but in our marriages specifically, is the revelation of that love within God, that love among the three persons of the Godhead. That's what's being attacked. That's what we, where our battle is. And what was the son's purpose for obeying the father's will? Why is Jesus obeying? Because in John fifteen twenty six, he says, he will testify about me. The whole purpose of Jesus loving and obeying and respecting the father is that he, that love, that activity, that relationship will be testified to or be announced or demonstrated or be imaged through the way Jesus responds to the Father's leadership. So you see in the incarnation, now remember what the incarnation means. It means enfleshed. The incarnation is that work of the Holy Spirit by the purpose of God under the obedience of the Son where the eternal Son has agreed with the Father's purpose to take on a human body and soul and to live within the creation for the purpose of demonstrating this unique, holy Kadesh, unusual like no other love anywhere in all creation, to the creation in the life of this man, Jesus Christ. So that the world may marvel at who our God really is. What's the extent of the son's obedience? You know, often I've been asked, and I understand this. Listen, I don't say this in a cryptic way. I understand and I commiserate. There are far too many. One is too many. There are far too many issues in marriages 
where one or the other, but usually the woman, says, how far do I take this submission? How far? How far? Well, we always make sure there's no physical abuse here. Man, if you abuse your wives, we're coming after you with the law. We'll have you put in jail. You got it? Everybody got that? You touch your wife inappropriately and see if I won't call the police on you. You just see. Go ahead. Put me to the test. Put Keith to the test. Evan to the test. Ronald to the test. Put us to the test. And secondly, abandonment. So we're not, you know, those are issues that have to be dealt with within the context biblically. But how far does a woman, how far do you take this submission? Well, again, how far does Jesus take? Oh, yeah, that's Jesus. But we have the life of Christ in us. How far does he take it? Do you remember what the word says in Philippians 8? I'm sorry, 2.8. You remember that? Somebody remember Philippians 2.8? But being what? Being what? In the form of man, he what? He humbled himself unto death, even death on the cross. Philippians 2.8. Well, what does that mean? That means you walk it out under the leading of the Holy Spirit with your heart's joy and desire to so honor God and the commitment of the Son of God to the will of the Father. At whatever cost to yourself, making yourself less significant and important than making God in you. And what's the result? What does Philippians 2.9 say? I quote a little differently because I like this quote. Wherefore also God has what? Has what? Sorry, I can't hear you. Wherefore also God has highly exalted Jesus. Exalted what? Exalted Jesus love. Exalted Jesus respect. Exalted Jesus obedience. We don't often connect it like that, do we? What is he exalting here? He's not just exalting a man, Lester. He's exalting a man in whom his very loving nature is fully expressed continually and perfectly. Wherefore also God has highly exalted him and has given him a name which is above every name, all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in things in the heavens, things on earth and things under the earth. And every tongue shall confess what? That Jesus Christ is Lord. Why? To the glory of whom? God the Father. Every tongue shall confess. That doesn't only mean Jesus is Lord, sister. It does mean that. But it means more than that. It means that my life and the way, especially in this context, the wife 
responds to the husband's leadership except for sin is a clear testimony, not about herself, but that Jesus is the son of the Father's love given to us so that we may be partakers of the very love that exists within God among the persons of God. That's the testimony. That's the clear testimony. I need to move along. In the incarnation, we also see the Son, who is equal with the Spirit, willingly submitting himself not only to the Father's will, but to the Father's will by submitting to the Spirit who has been sent to birth Jesus into the world and to lead him according to the Father's will in all that he does. So Jesus is submitted to the Father's will in a practical way as being submitted to the will of the Holy Spirit who lives in him. Do you begin to hear for all of us something about the way we are to live as believers? Luke 4, 1, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. Remember, he was baptized and was being led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Question is, ladies, are you being led by the Spirit, even if your uh, marriage at this point seems to be a wilderness? In verse 14, after conquering the enemy and not submitting to the deceptions of Satan, in verse 14, Jesus returned from the wilderness, remember, returned what? In the power of the Spirit. He's, being, he's submitting to the Spirit. Why? Because it is the Father's will that the Son be submitting and obeying his will, and he is doing it through the authority given to the Holy Spirit to be leading Jesus. And remember, Jesus is equal with the Father and equal with the Spirit in all issues, except when it comes to roles, there's the distinction. Remember in Matthew 12, 28, Jesus says, it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons. So when we look at the ministry and the person, the words of this man, what are we seeing? We are seeing painted in the life of this man the picture of the Father's loving leadership by the loving leadership of the Holy Spirit being received lovingly and respectfully by the Son for the accomplishment of God the Father's purpose in creation. Let us make man according to our image after our likeness so that at the end and in the glory all glory will then go to God the Father you see the son exercises his role to send the Holy Spirit I'm sorry after the resurrection before in in the incarnation the earthly incarnation of Jesus the son is submitted However, after the resurrection, something changes. Something changes. You remember Matthew 28, 18? All of a sudden, this submitted God-man who is leading under the authority and takes no authority to himself unilaterally on his own. All of a sudden, what does he say in Matthew 28, 18? Remember, all the people had gathered, the disciples, and what does he say? All authority, where? In heaven and on earth, 
has been given. Now stop. Has been given. Given to him from whom? God the Father. God the Father has authoritatively now given his son as a man, as a risen, holy, heavenly man, in whom for eternity divinity and humanity are gathered together eternally in this man, Jesus Christ. Eternally now, there is a divine man in the heavens who has been given all authority. And now, according to that authority, the risen, ruling, reigning, returning Son of God uses his absolute authority to do the work of the Father by now sending the Holy Spirit who lovingly, respectfully submits to the Son's leadership in the birth of the church and in the sanctifying power of the church to conform those in Christ to the image of God's Son, Romans eight twenty nine. Once again, we see each divine person exercising his distinctive role in an atmosphere of mutual love and respect for the benefit of all. Notice this, that in every work of God, from the Father's initiating to the Spirit's carrying it out, Remember the Son's purchase, everything. In all of this, each person of the Godhead functions distinctively, but cooperatively. The Father doesn't go to the cross. The Holy Spirit doesn't go to the cross. What was the name of that book, Brenda, that was written? That hellish, damnable book? Something about a man in a cottage somewhere alone. The shack. I'm not going to ask. If you have a copy of the shack in your house, burn it. It is a damnable heresy. A damnable heresy. Oh, but it's so wonderful and it touches my heart. Of course. Doesn't the Holy Spirit always touch our hearts with devotion and excitement and wonderful things? Isn't this how he lures us? Amen? Don't fall for it. Read it in the context of the Word of God. And you'll see. Get rid of it. I don't want anything demonically in my house. Is it going to hurt me? You better know it won't. I just don't want it. What was I talking about that I went there? Now, each person of the Trinity acts cooperatively. Therefore, in the work of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are involved. In the work of the Son, the Father, and the Spirit are involved. In the work of the Spirit, the Father, and the Son are involved. And this should say something instructive about marriages. There's no such thing as unilateral, by myself, work in God, period. There's no such thing as unilateral, by myself, words in God, period. Everything 
is a cooperative unity through roles of love. So in summary, the son lovingly respects the father's will through his joyful obedience by coming into the world as a lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now let me finish this by speaking about the spirit. The Holy Spirit is fully God. Are we beginning to get this? The Holy Spirit is fully God in himself, but not by himself. Do I say co-equal yet, or do I have something else in there? Oh, no, okay. Being what? Co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and the Son, possessing the very same nature or divine nature simultaneously with them. Do we see that? I make that distinction among the three persons just to be careful and clear that we are in no way inferring or in any way insinuating that there is a diminution, a diminishing of divinity in the roles of each person of the Godhead. May I say it again? There is no diminution of divinity in the roles of each person of the Godhead. Not only is there no diminution, this is a clear declaration of the divinity within the Godhead of these three persons. Amen? And that should say something about the relationship and the equality, etc., of husbands and wives in a marriage. The Holy Spirit is... Now, what distinguishes the Spirit is his role in relation to the Father and to the Son as the person of God who births and sanctifies the church according to the loving will of the Father as purchased by the loving obedience of the Son. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the person of God who enacts the work of God on earth as purposed by the Father, as purchased by the Son. You got that? The Holy Spirit is a person of God who what? Applies in acts, puts forward in a reality upon the earth in a living way, in a contextual way, in a historical way, the purpose of God as purchased by the Son. All of that is anticipated and foreshadowed in the Old Testament, and it is brought to fruition in the New Testament in the life of Christ and is birthed into the church and will ours be ours in full recognition and what? Enjoyment in Revelation 21 and 22. The role of the Spirit during the incarnation, remember that, during the incarnation, the earthly life, because there is a heavenly incarnation. I say earthly incarnation because the Son of God is still incarnate. He's still incarnate. He always will be, according to the Father's will. Because as long as the Son of God is incarnate, there stands a man in the throne of God, accepted and fully ruling and reigning. And we are in him and are accepted and loved in him as he is by the Father. Amen? And we are there as long as he is there, and he ain't going nowhere. You see? In Christ. So the role of the Spirit during the incarnation is to bring about the birth of the divine Son and to anoint and lead the Son in the fulfillment of the Father's eternal purpose for his people. Remember, in Mary, 
Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She's be found with child by the Spirit. 316 of Matthew, sorry. The Spirit of God descending on Jesus, remember, like a dove, and coming to rest on him. Luke 4, 1, and Jesus, full of the Spirit. Remember, the Spirit is one now who is administering the Father's will to the Son as the Spirit lovingly, respectfully obeys the Father's will to come upon the Son and to birth him and to anoint him and to send him and to empower him all the way to the cross. And the Son receives all of that leadership lovingly and respectfully. After the incarnation, the role of the Spirit now is to submit to the Son's leadership by being sent into the world. To testify of Jesus. This is how one author puts it. In this tri-personal divine community, I don't know if you had this in your notes. The Father... Bruce Ware said this, but anyway, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit love one another, support one another, assist one another, team with one another, honor one another, communicate with one another, and in everything respect and enjoy one another. You see, this is the community, this is the heavenly community that the earthly community of the husband and wife or to be imaging. Amen. So next week, I'm not sure exactly how I'm going to be led to do this, but in the next few weeks, here's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be taking two different sets of verse uh, scriptures, so I need you to know this. We're going to be looking at Genesis 1 and 2 in conjunction with Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. So if you would begin to read these scriptures and become a little more familiar with them than you might otherwise be. Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and Ephesians chapter 5 verses 22 to 33. The account and the purpose of God is the creation account and the theological meaning and outworking of that which is begun in Genesis is the Ephesians account. Amen. Do, do be praying for the sermon this morning. Uh, don't trust the man's ability who will be preaching in himself. Trust God. So really, be praying for the sermon. Thank you so much for being here.